In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the kiddos up through the 12th grade please come forward. Put it there. Good morning. Can you sit over here so I can turn this way? There we go. Thank you so much. Whoops. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you something about God that maybe you know and maybe you don't know. And it's taken from our Old Testament lesson today from the prophet. Anybody remember? Jeremiah. Close. Jeremiah. And, and God calls Jeremiah, like God called me to be a priest in the, his church. God calls you to certain things. God called Jeremiah. And, and God says to Jeremiah, he says, I knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. God knew Jeremiah before he was even born. And so God calls him and says, I, I want you to do this. And, and Jeremiah says, but I am only a boy. He was probably a young teenager. I am only a boy. Those are the three words that we really have to be careful about. If God tells us to do something, you say, but I am only, I guarantee you, he's going to have a, an answer for your I am only. I, I promise you he will. If God is calling you, he knows you can do it through whatever he gives you to do. Now, I don't know what God is going to call you all to do. I know he's called you to be in church today. God has called you to be here today. That's the way God works. You might not say, all right, Deanna, you're going to church today. And you might say, but Lord, I, I only got six hours sleep last night. I'm not saying that about you. But, and God's going to say, but you're going to be in church today. And look, here you are. And why does God want you here in church today? Maybe he has a special word for you. Maybe... Maybe he wants to give you a special grace, either in communion or when you hear the Bible reading or in fellowship with one another. God has something for you today. I promise you. But he's going to have something for you all your life. He's going to call you to certain things all of your life. And that's why we have to train our hearts to listen to God. Because most often we listen to the world and God can't even get through because the world is so loud. And we'd rather do what the world wants a lot of times anyway. But God calls us. And when we train ourselves through God's grace and through God's Holy Spirit, when we train ourselves, then we begin to hear God's voice saying, Lauren, I want you to be a teacher. I mean, I'm not saying that. I don't know that. But, you know, God might call you and do whatever God wants to do. God knows God knows where you're going to be 30 years from now and what you're going to be doing. And hopefully, you will let him lead you where he wants you to be. And I hope you're going to be in church on Sundays too, right? Everybody, always, because God calls us. And I understand that there's all things going on in this world that keep us from that. I understand that. But uh, God calls you and he's going to use you, I promise you, if you let him use you. And it's not for your sake. It's not, it's not to make you a famous movie star, even though he might make you a famous movie star so you can touch people's lives. 
But what, the way he uses you is for his kingdom's sake. Because everything we do on earth is for his kingdom's sake. Because this all goes away. Every bit of it goes away. But that never goes away. And he calls us to that. So think about that. First of all, believe that God knew you before you were even born. And God knows you now. And he knows your name right now. And he's, and he's calling you to ministry. Thank you for serving every week almost. Um, he's calling you to ministry. And ministry is for his kingdom's sake. Keep that in your heart. Pay attention to it. Okay? Thank you all for being here. It's so good to see you. All right. Um, that's it. Go get a packet if you want one. Hey, Deanna, why are you up? Boy, you got some strength in your arm. like it yeah, you do so there are three little pigs who went out to dinner one night the waiter comes to their table takes their drink order order and the first little piggy says I'd like a Sprite second little piggy says I'd like a Coke the third little piggy says I, I want water lots and lots and lots of water the drinks were brought out the waiter takes their orders for dinner. First little piggy says, I want a nice, big, juicy steak. Second little piggy says, I want a good garden, fresh salad. Third little piggy says, I want water, lots and lots and lots of water. The meals were brought out. A while later, the waiter approaches the table, asks the piggies if they would like dessert. The first little piggy says, I want a banana split. Second little piggy says, I want a root beer float. Third little piggy says, I want water, lots and lots and lots of water. The waiter said to the third little piggy, pardon me for asking, but why have you only ordered water all evening? You, <laughs> you know the answer? Yes, you do. Third little piggy says, well, somebody has to go wee, wee, wee all the way home. <laughs> Did he put something on his? <laughs> There's a story attributed to Abraham Lincoln. He just given he had just given a rousing speech, applauded by a large crowd, just like you applauded my joke while ago. And as he was descending from the platform, an admirer said something like, great speech, sir, and just look at the size of the crowd. And Lincoln replied, I am always humbled by the knowledge that there would be twice as many people here to see me hung. Before the Sabbath sermon is finished in that sleepy Nazareth synagogue, the crowd who first hailed Jesus as hometown boy made good will try to throw him off a cliff. This week's message on our digital sign out front, which was also the end of my sermon last week, says the greatest tragedy in the world is to lose God and not even miss him. 
I believe that's what happened in Nazareth that day. The people were losing God. They didn't even know it. Or maybe I should say they didn't want to believe it. If we pay close attention, we might begin to see shades of Palm Sunday. Hosanna in the highest. Yea, Jesus. Dissolving into Good Friday. Crucify him. We don't want him. Jesus' sermon to the people in the synagogue on that particular Sabbath was made up of both good news and bad news. These were desperate people in that synagogue, people who had been under foreign domination for centuries. They were on the, very, on the verge of, of losing the promise. They were on the edge of their seats. They were praying every day for someone to appear from within their midst to save them, to make them a great nation again, instead of the joke that they were within the Roman Empire. So one day, they came to the synagogue to worship, as you hopefully remember from last week's gospel reading and the sermon. And a local boy, Joseph's son, Jesus, he stood up to read the scriptures to preach. Handed to him was one of the favorite texts of his day, as well known and loved as is John 3.16 today. He opened the scroll and he read, The Spirit of the Lord has chosen me, has appointed me, has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And they all thought to themselves, yes, the poor, that's us. We are the poor, some of the poorest people in the whole empire. We need this word of good news. And Jesus continued the reading to proclaim liberty to the captives. And they thought, right on, tell them, preacher. Nobody knows captivity as we've known it. We are the slaves of the Roman Empire going on in their minds. And Jesus continued to set free the oppressed. Isn't it true? We are the oppressed. We are the special recipients of God's gracious word of freedom. He's intended it for us, and we shall see the day when it shall come to pass. And then came the best part, the part that everyone loved the most, like the part in the fairy tales when we all wait to hear that they lived happily ever after. Jesus said, and to announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. Yes, Lord, let the time be now. We are your people. We await your salvation. And Jesus, he sets the scroll aside, handing it to the attendant, and he says, this passage of scripture has come true today. Now, that would have been good news. Those people who gathered before Jesus wanted to hear that their time had come, that God had chosen this time to save them. When they didn't ex what they didn't expect to hear is what came next. They've gotten the good news, now comes the bad news. But before I get to that, Every one of us knows that change never comes easy, even if it brings freedom. 
change never comes easy. We know that when Jesus comes into our lives, Jesus is going to rearrange the furniture in our hearts. We know that sometimes we like the furniture right where it is, so Jesus, please leave it there. In Sleepy Nazareth, even though they had been praying diligently for the day of the Lord to come, what they find is that they really like the furniture where it is. Don't move it around, Jesus. And so when this young whippersnapper of a hotshot preacher comes to this place and quits preaching and goes to meddling, the crowd joins in the chorus of, isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus says, I suppose you're saying to yourselves, doctor, heal yourself. In other words, Jesus says, if the kingdom is about to come, you're saying, then by George, let it begin right here in Nazareth among your own people. And you know what? They probably were thinking that. Something like, we know what you can do, Jesus. We've heard good news about your healing ministry over there in Capernaum. But what about Nazareth? This is where you were born. Or this is where you grew up. He wasn't born there, by the way. Bring your good news here. If you are the one to bring the good news that God's kingdom is about to, to dawn, son of Joseph, then remember, charity begins right here at home. And Jesus looks them in the eye and he delivers the word. He said, the good news is this, that the train is leaving for the promised land. The bad news, here it is. The bad news is that we will not be the only ones on it. Now, of course, that's a paraphrase of what Jesus said. The words he really used to imply what I just said were, remember when Elijah was a prophet, Jesus said? There were lots of widows in Israel. But was Elijah sent to one of the numerous widows in Israel, the people of God? No, he was sent to a widow of Phoenicia, a Gentile nation people that you and I might not even speak to on the street. Then he says, remember when Elijah's successor, Elisha, was a prophet in the land? There must have been thousands of lepers in Israel. But did God send one of those lepers of Israel to Elisha to be cleansed? No, he sent a commander of the army of Syria, one of Israel's most bitter enemies. That's who Elisha cleansed, a Gentile one whose army stood poised to destroy Israel altogether. And so now the good news has been announced. The train was ready to depart the station, going to the promised land. The reign of God's peace was about to break into their lives, but instead tragedy struck. The message on the sign out front comes true, the greatest tragedy in the world is to lose God and not even miss him. The people of Nazareth accepted the good news as bad news. What they heard was that there would be no first-class compartments on this train. No matter how much we may want to hear that the kingdom of God has come only for us, good Christians. Only for Nazareth, only for Israel, only for St. Timothy's. 
The truth is the kingdom of God has come for the whole world. If God is willing to save even Gentile women and lepers, then where do we, the good chosen people of God, fit in? The answer is we don't fit in at all unless we are willing to understand that God is free to heal and to save wherever he finds repentance and faith and belief. Even if it is among the Gentile people, the heavy-duty sinners. The people in the synagogue in Nazareth certainly were not ready to hear what they heard that day as good news. In fact, the good news had turned into bad news and things got real ugly. Now, there are different kinds of ugly in this world. There's an ugly picture. There's an ugly mess. But worse than that is ugly in action. When the good people of Nazareth received what they heard as bad news, that God was not choosing just them, the people of God, they got to being ugly in action. They were filled with wrath. They began to act out their rage. They dragged Jesus off to the hillside for what for all practical purposes amounted to a death sentence. And they would have done him in were it not for the fact that the time had not yet come for evil to dominate this story. Now here's what's so important about this ugly little scene. The biggest crime for which a person could be put to death in Israel was the crime of blasphemy, of saying or claiming something about God that just wasn't true. Why did they want to kill Jesus right then and there in his hometown? Because they believed he had claimed something about God that everyone knew just was not true. That God loves the Gentiles and all other manner of wicked sinners just as much as he loves the fine upstanding folks of Nazareth. It was just too much for them to hear. I mean, surely the God they had been waiting on for hundreds of years wouldn't have changed his plans and let someone else into the kingdom. Surely this son of Joseph was a blasphemer, a liar to have said such a thing. But my friends, that is exactly who God is. God's love is reckless in its sweep. Everyone who believes is included and no one is left out. God is not satisfied with just a few of his children who might be saved. God wants us all. He wants the gospel preached to all nations, to all people, to Jew and to Gentile, to slave and to free, to board chairman and to garbage collector, to visiting foreign dignitaries and illegal aliens, president, prostitute. I want you to think of the one person that you can't even begin to imagine sharing eternity with and realize that that's a person God loves as much as he loves you. Now, you may want to throw me off a cliff for saying that, but it won't make it any less true today than it was when Jesus said it. 
And no, it's not fair as the world counts fairness, but that's the way God loves his world. We aren't loved less. We are not loved less. It's just that others are loved more than we could ever imagine possible. Our problem is how to communicate that desperately available love that God has to a world that often doesn't even know it's there. We are called, you and I, to be signs always pointing to God's kingdom, always pointing in the direction of Jesus, telling others of the good news that we've found, that we've been given. You know, one of the reasons St. Timothy's is here is to say to the whole surrounding community that God loves his world. And that is the good news. Because there are lots of places in our world where nobody loves anybody. Wouldn't you want others to know that this is one place where people care? This church is a place where the love of God is very much alive. I know it's true because I experience it every single day. Unfortunately, the church in Nazareth experienced the greatest tragedy in the world. They lost God and they didn't even miss him. But not us. We will spread the news that today this saying is fulfilled in our midst. And we at St. Timothy's are now and will continue to be a mighty part of that great fulfillment. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.